Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you again. And um, as has already been said, today we have a little bit of focus on the world. Um, looking at the calendar a few months ago, we planned this service. Uh, not knowing that uh, Roy and Gwyn would be with us, which is exciting. God had some plans for us to have them here with us. But we wanted to warm up for our missions conference, which is uh, a few weeks away. Um, so today we're just going to look at and hear um, what God is doing around the world. And we are really blessed to have two speakers um, share with us today. Uh, the first of which I want to invite um, Roy and Gwyn Comedy just to stand for a start. Roy and Gwyn, can we uh, welcome them to, to us here this morning? I've only met them briefly this morning, but I see the joy of the Lord in their lives, but they've had a career serving God as missionaries throughout South Af or the southern regions of Africa, many countries in uh, the southern areas of Africa, but then have travelled, did I hear, over 60 countries? They've ministered in over 60 countries, encouraging mission workers over those years as well, and they have an amazing story to, to um, bring to us here this morning. So can we welcome them um, again, and then I'll invite Roy to come and share uh, with us. So thank you so much, Roy, uh, for being with us and uh, sharing with us here Thanks, this morning. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for an inspiring welcome. <laughs> uh, it's great to be with you. And uh, we, we already know that the Lord our God in the midst of us is nearer than breathing, closer than your hands and your feet. He's here. And because he's here, uh, he can transform our ordinariness and he can show us a little bit of his glory. And we pray that he will do just that. Yeah, we've been missionaries for 57 years now, and uh, it's, um, it's a great joy. We've been in four countries this year, and um, we feel very privileged of the Lord to be able to keep on traveling, even though we're getting up there, and um, even though we're have nine great-grandchildren. We just thank the Lord for the privilege of being able to travel around the world still and to minister for him. We worked in Zambia for many years, uh, teaching Bible college. And I remember we had a, a visitor from England. Uh, he was a little man, and uh, he had a tendency to go up and down like that. And he kept on standing on tiptoes, but he couldn't stay there. And his very first sentence was, uh, we had an, one of our students doing the interpretation into the local language. He said, I am tickled to death to be here. <laughs> and the student, in total perplexity, turned and looked at him up and down, and he said, this man is dying from scratching himself. <laughs> My theme for this morning is forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that we've been learning all our lives. Everybody needs forgiveness, don't we? Everybody. If you haven't experienced that, then 
you can do that today and it's an, a most amazing experience. And then God leads us to not only to experience forgiveness for ourselves, but uh, to, be, to learn how to forgive other people. And there is power in doing things like that. And it's all from him. Uh, all the things that are very, very meaningful in the gospel come from him. Uh, we have the privilege of being uh, his body on earth, uh, his hands and his feet, but he's the one we want to talk about and we want you to know. So George Bernard Shaw said, forgiveness is a beggar's refuge. I will have none of it. It's weakness. It's useless. And I am weak and useless, but I've been forgiven. <laughs> and I am so thankful. Uh, I've, I'm thankful because not only did the Lord forgive me, but he taught me how to forgive. We served in Zambia, we served in Zimbabwe, and um, we went through seven years of war there, and uh, we, we lost 42 missionaries who were massacred. And uh, we lost 200, over 200 of our pastors. And uh, they, they were the enemy of the state. And it were, they were rough days. I took more funerals than I ever want to remember. But what God did during those dreadful days was just amazing. And it is to him that all the glory goes. And I think that one of the most mature churches in the world today is in Zimbabwe because they've been beaten down, they've been imprisoned, the leadership of our churches have been imprisoned, and they are shining like gold. I love the Lord for what he has done in their lives. And during that war, um, some missionaries, very, very close friends of ours, they lived 10, 10 kilometers down the road from where we were. And one night, nine of them uh, were murdered. Uh, the women were raped. It was a dreadful, dreadful night. And um, four children, one just a baby of three weeks of age, uh, was killed. And um, it was one of those things. But the aftermath, you know, I love what happens afterwards. Because God, in his mercy, at that funeral, the theme was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, would you follow them? Would you find them? Would you forgive them? And would you mobilize them? And he did just that. And long story short, Gary Hove, the leader of that group, was led to the Lord by a very close friend of mine, a missionary. And, uh, and then when he had become a Christian, the Lord said, I want you to follow your men. I want you to follow the men you led in killing and raping and find them. And he in two and a half years, he found eight of them and led them to Christ. 
Do you know that of the nine, seven went into full-time service? They went overseas for training, and they came back, and they went to various parts of the world. And so those men of terror are, have served consistently for many, many years. What an amazing God we have. One day, late in our ministry, uh, I got a phone call from my nephew. He was living in Zimbabwe then. He's now living here in Brisbane. I got a phone call from Craig, and he said, Uncle Roy, my mother, your sister, has just been murdered. It was the ugliest news I think I've ever heard. Sheila and I were very close. She was the first Christian in our pagan family. And she came to the Lord and she shined. And now she was dead. And you know, it took two years to find the murderer, but they did catch him. And all those two years we'd been praying that they would, first of all, bring him to justice, but then that they would also bring him to mercy. And uh, we had the incredible privilege of um, finding him. I was preaching in a church in Port Shepston in South Africa on the Sunday, and um, the pastor there and myself, we, we had put on our calendar while we were still in, Ca in Canada, Monday, see Chris Nguni, the man who murdered my sister. No chaplain had been able to get into the prisons. They were all closed. Uh, to chaplains, they were being punished by being forbidden to even hear the word of God. And so what happened was on that very Monday, God brought the, him out of the prison to Ramsgate, which was 10 minutes away from where I was preaching. And he, he gave us the opportunity of going to his trial. And God ordered things from there, and I, I want you to see the unmistakable hand of God in all of this, because these things are way beyond our doing. He made the black judge 25 minutes late. That was number one. And then I begged for an opportunity to speak to the man, and they said, that is impossible. And I happen to believe in a God who loves that word because he loves just smashing down those mountains of impossibility. And God then took me to the prosecutor and she was on the phone to the black judge. And the judge was saying this, I'm going to be 25 minutes late. You are in charge. Whatever comes up, you handle it. I came up. <laughs> and I begged for the opportunity to speak to Chris. And she said, we never do that. Never. Never. But if the defense attorney agrees, and if the prisoner agrees to see you, and if every word that you say can be recorded and witnessed by the 14 legal people who are here today then we will allow it. And he did it. 
God did it and he opened the doors, the hearts, the minds, and I had 17 minutes witnessed by my pastor friend who was there. And um, those, you know, when God gives you an audience, I'm speaking to the man sitting next to me. Nobody else could sit because there was no room in the little room at the back of the high court. And I spoke to him for 17 minutes. I told him the story of how the murderers of my fellow missionaries became my brothers. And here is the man who murdered my sister, and I just told him I desperately would love it if God would enable you to be my brother. But it's the way of repentance. And I shared the whole gospel with him, and his eyes were opened. And I gave him a Bible in his own language, and he said, he turned and he said, I'm so sorry. And then we were called into the area. It was a very short trial because there was a change coming in, in the, uh, uh, the order of things. And so it was just, he was dismissed. He went outside of the high court. We came out. We were happy that we'd had the opportunity of sharing the gospel. And, um, but then I saw him standing outside. And so I left my pastor friend and I went straight over to, to where Chris was with his God. He was chained legs and hand. And I said, can I have another word? And you know, I didn't know what to say. I had prepared for the inside, but I hadn't prepared for the outside. And I said, you... I've worked in Africa, I was born in Africa, I learned African languages as a boy. I, I grew up there and I loved Africa and I know their culture. And I, and I said, you have an African name? He said, yes, it's Nsenjwa. And as soon as he said that, I knew what God wanted me to say. And I told him, today you stood before the judge and he has waited you, 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 you have another trial coming up. But there is another judge. And he is the judge of all the world. And I am going to stand before him and you are going to stand before him and your God is going to stand before him. We are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we have an advocate and his name is Jesus Christ. And he has already paid the price for whatever you have done. Everything. And he is willing to save to the uttermost. And you know, I was, I went back and I just, as I walked back to the car, because the, the truck came to pick him up, I walked back and I said, Father, thank you. You made the judge late and you gave me 17 minutes inside to speak not only to the prisoner but to 14 legal people, one who was crying all the way through what I said. And he came and saw me afterwards and I realized that God had done a very deep work 
in his life. And so we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And we are so privileged to be servants of this living God. And um, I wish we had time to tell you of all the things that God has done and the movements of God that we have seen and are seeing right now. I'll just mention one. It's in my book. Oh, by the way, it's here. It's called The Unmistakable Hand of God. It's over there on that table. And uh, if, if we run out there, it is, you're able to order on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Anyway, uh, it is just a story of the grace of God in so many areas of ministry and life. And to God be all the glory. I, I say in the opening, it's not about my hand. It's the unmistakable hand of God. And that's where you are. That's where I am. And I'm, we're in his unmistakable hand. And to him be all the glory. The Lord bless each and every one of you. Thank you. Okay. We were privileged to hear just a portion of that story. Um, I was just praying early before the service too. Um, Jesus, when he was on the cross, he says, it is finished. And then three days later, he rose again. And um, as Roy has shared, um, Jesus has paid the punishment for our sin. And we all have this amazing opportunity to be forgiven. For The Bible says that our sins are taken from the left, the, as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he removes them. And what we've heard here is a powerful story of how that truth of what happened on the cross reverberates throughout this world, changing and transforming lives, even the deepest and the darkest. We've heard stories of rape and murder, yet forgiveness and life coming from them. And this is a gospel, as we've shared um, earlier, this God is here with us. And I thought it'd be wonderful for Roy just to pray for us. And if we can just have a moment of prayer, you can just pray now. But there may be some of us who sometimes it is hard even to forgive ourselves. Even to know that I am forgiven. I am free. Sometimes there are things in our past, maybe there are things we're experiencing right now, that we don't know forgiveness. But we've heard today that Jesus forgives sin that he's paid the punishment for our sin. And as Roy prays for us, just ask, he might pray for us to help us receive that forgiveness, but also maybe to extend it to others as he has done in his own life. And as we do that, just in your own heart, in your own meditation, uh, you just speak to God about forgiveness in your life, whether that might be, oh Lord, help me to receive that, to know that my sin's been removed as far as the east is to the west, or... Maybe that you might, in your own heart, extend forgiveness to someone else. Would you bow with us in prayer as I ask Roy to pray for us? I, I'm just going to add one word before I pray. Um, one man, Chris Nguni, came to the Lord. We now have 150 men murderers in, his, in that prison who have surrendered 
their lives to Jesus Christ. And we just thank God that it's a movement. Now those 150 are being scattered all over South Africa into different prisons. They did it because the Christian grouping was so strong that wardens were coming to Christ and they wanted to get rid of it. We spread over into the women's prison. They hated us because most of them had murdered their husbands. But now we have over 100 women murderers who have accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. And so we just give him all the glory for what he's doing. We were in those prisons this year, earlier. Shall we bow together in prayer? Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. And we pray for every person seated here today. You know us better than we know ourselves. And we thank you, Lord, for that knowledge because it comes not just with judgment, it comes with love and mercy and forgiveness. And we pray, Lord, that not one person here would leave without the assurance of your own forgiveness in their lives and your leadership to lead them on to be able to forgive other people as well. We worship you, Lord. We worship you alone. And we do it in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I also give thanks for the rain. Um, I spoke to my parents in Stanthorpe. They had an inch on the weekend, which is a great... Um, the most rain they've had for a long time, they're very thankful for that and continuing to pray for more. And so excited to think of a thousand people coming to these high teas. What an amazing opportunity. You know, God knows every one of those people by name, knows everything about them and loves them as much as Chris, the testimony we've just heard. Uh, he wants to, to meet each one and pour out his love and grace on them. So I'll be praying with you uh, for your friends as um, we look into that uh, high tea as well. Well, we really are blessed today. We've already been blessed, haven't we? But we are blessed uh, to have Simon and Alison Rattray sharing with us here this morning. Uh, Simon, as, as well, has had a, a life of ministry growing up in Indonesia uh, supporting, well, doing ministry in churches, pastoring churches here, but more recently supporting the persecuted church with open doors. But now in a new ministry, he and um, Alison are starting called Project 114. Um, there's uh, information about it out on the table. Actually, there's an amazing table outside the coffee. Go for a good coffee, but as you get that on your right, on the left, is an amazing table. I'll show you some of the cards and information about Project 114, a great book about um, the this birth of the church in Indonesia, Bruce and Annette's life as well um, there. So please don't miss that when you go out into the courtyard. Um, but Simon and Alison are supporting the persecuted church, those under pressure, those vulnerable in isolated um, situations around the world. Um, and just recently, again, just a, a God-ordained story was in Sri Lanka ministering there just before just um, before the Easter bombings in Sri Lanka and as, um, that has led to a number of different contacts and ministry opportunities for, for Simon and Alison to support the church there in Sri Lanka. So could we please welcome both Simon and Alison as they come and share with us uh, this morning. Thank you.
looks like I'm starting. <laughs> I'm rather croaky today, I'm sorry, so please pray for me while I try to speak. I'm just going to share a little uh, poem with you actually to start with. So this is called The Tear Garden. Um, if we had that slide... <clears throat> cool, awesome. So imagine for a moment if every tear you cried didn't just roll down your cheek and quietly subside. What if every tear was saved from every time you've wept, then sent from here to heaven and in a bottle kept? Imagine a heavenly garden that's watered by those tears where God is the tender gardener in each season through the years. With every tear, he plants a seed and soon a garden grows. For whether shed in pain or joy, the Father surely knows. I asked you to imagine, but this isn't make-believe. Beauty can come from ashes if you're willing to receive. So the painting you can see there is also called uh, The Tear Garden. <clears throat> and uh, I painted that a few months ago now. And uh, when Simon was heading to Sri Lanka just very recently, um, I really felt that it would be, um, well, prayed that it would be a blessing if we could somehow get this painting into the hands of some of those um, precious believers who are survivors of the bombing from Easter Sunday. And so we were able to do that. Um, I sent Simon with a print on, uh, on a USB. I said, I don't know what they've got there, if they can even print things like this there, but just take it and see what happens. And uh, fortunately, he was able to do that, thank the Lord. Um, he provided an opportunity. Um, there was also another print as well. Um, we might go to the second slide if we have it. There we go. So we've got two images there. The little girl you can see on the left with the tear garden, her name is Snaya. How old was she, Laura? She's 11 years old. She had a very serious brain injury as a result of um, the bombing. And this was post her surgery. Um, I think she'd already had surgery. This was hopefully going to be the last surgery for her and Simon met and prayed with her and it was really special to be able to see that in her hands um, and we've got another lady on the left there with a, a lion and lamb print that particular one I actually did right after the bombings happened the very next day I just felt the Lord put it in my mind to paint that and we were hoping at the time that we could get that um, somehow to Sri Lanka but there was a lot of issues with the internet so it took a bit longer to get there but what was really um, special for me was that I couldn't go with Simon to Sri Lanka but I could send my art and in a way it went with my prayers for them and uh, it was a real uh, blessing to me to think that uh, you know the Lord could use that art to just bless them help them in their healing journey um, and that's something that I want to be doing more of in the future. I'm currently studying art therapy um, actually so long term I'm looking to use this uh, wherever the Lord leads me but probably primarily in trauma care with women and children whether that be here or potentially overseas. Um, art has a wonderful way of helping us express things that are just a bit too hard to talk about and so it's a, it's a really wonderful opportunity to help people on that recovery journey. So um, yeah, I'll pass on to Simon. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's great to be here and to share. Phil, uh, I remember you leading worship back in the, before Bridgman, in the Ashgrove days. And uh, so it was great to come again after you. I've done that a few times now and uh, it's, it's, it's exciting to share this morning. 
uh, Alison and I feel a calling to help Christians uh, share Jesus boldly and beautifully. The gospel is beautiful, but the gospel also can be extremely confronting. And uh, we are living in a culture today where we're confronted with a lot of fear about sharing the gospel. And we're hoping that we can bring back some of these stories to inspire you as well. Uh, if we go to the next image there, this is uh, St. Anthony's Church in Colombo. This is, I was standing actually just where the lady in red is walking uh, less than a week before a bomb ripped through this building. If we could have the next image, this is what it looked like inside. And uh, before I went to Sri Lanka, I had absolutely no idea what the Lord was going to throw me into because the Lord gave us this vision for this ministry, why it's called Project 140, and I'll share that briefly a little bit later on. But um, we got connected with a global ministry. He said to us, look, we, are, we love your vision. We love what God... We see what God wants to do through you, but um, we can guarantee to get you into any country. We just can't guarantee to get you back out again. <laughs> and, um, and so I was like, yeah, let's do it. And Alison's like, oh, I'm not sure. So the Lord's done a lot of work in both of us since then. But if we could have the next slide. This is a sobering image because this picture was taken in one of the churches there about 15 minutes before a bomb ripped through this building and killed everyone in this picture. As we can see, most of the people are women and children and one of the pastors who was involved in uh, establishing this church called me on the Easter Monday and it took me about 20 minutes to hear him because he was so traumatized and it was an incredible privilege for me to be able to pray with him. I don't quite remember what the Lord led me to pray, but um, we got through it together. But you know, he said to me that there was a song they were singing just before the bomb went off. We know it well. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. And so we've been walking this journey with the church in Sri Lanka ever since April this year and I had the privilege of going back there again just some weeks ago, uh, thanks. This is another church, this is the St. Sebastian Church in um, Nagumbo, about an hour north of Colombo, the capital. This is what the church looked like uh, after the bombings where around about 125 people were killed and more than 300 injured. I had the privilege of going there. This next slide, please. And this is the inside of the church now. Uh, the Sri Lankan government sent the military in to rebuild the church. And I had the privilege of standing uh, meters from where the bomb went off in April this year, thanks. One of the most confronting images is this one, which is now called the blood-splattered Christ of Colombo. We see a statue of Jesus and in the background, the blood of God's people on the walls and on Jesus' statue. I was reminded of, just as I reflected on this and how to articulate this, how to even help 
myself process all this emotionally, but also help God's people process this. I was thinking, you know, we struggle with a sacrificial God who bleeds, don't we? We, including myself, I'm more comfortable with an abstract faith. <laughs> um, not a concrete faith as much I struggle with the idea of blood. Blood is sticky, it's repulsive, frightening. But each one of us who are followers of Jesus who've been stuck with a sacrificial God who bleeds, amen? And if we are truly Jesus' people, we must be willing to bleed too. What this image also reminded me is that Jesus' right hand is mighty to save, but he doesn't always save us from our enemies. Sometimes he stands with us in the tsunami of our suffering and encourages us to reach out our hands in love, reconciliation and forgiveness as Roy has shared. Thanks. I took this picture some weeks ago next to the statue that is now encased in glass and I praise the Lord that they didn't wash off the blood from the statue because it is a constant reminder of what happened that day but also a reminder of what happened on Calvary's day for us. Thanks. This guy's name is Jagup and uh, he was the first responder on this particular bombing. He said to me, I was having my coffee in the morning and I heard what sounded like a Boeing 747 crash over the road and I thought, wow, it's crashed into the church. And he said, I didn't realise what I was about to confront. He said, there were literally rivers of blood flowing down the street. And he said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still dealing with the images. Um, I can't get my mind away from the screaming and the suffering and uh, he has had very little trauma counselling whatsoever so part of my work there is to coordinate um, a large trauma care initiative for the victims and for the many others who've been affected that day because as pastors in many countries in the world say whenever aid is given to Christians in crisis usually food, clothing, medical supplies are in quite there's quite an abundance of those, but the greatest need is for God's people to receive trauma support and counselling, which is, of course, as we know, is part of a much wider vision uh, of supporting God's people pastorally. Thanks. Uh, this is Snea and her family. Uh, when I first met with Snea, she told me about um, experiencing the bombings where she is uh, blinded, partly blinded, but also she has lost a lot of her hearing. She uh, experienced a part of her skull um, being removed and also replaced. But praise God, that's been quite a successful operation. But when I first went there and met with her, she was in incredible pain and discouragement. And as soon as I showed her a picture of Emily, our daughter, our 11-year-old daughter, she got up and she disappeared. And I'm thinking, well, where did she go? And she came out a few minutes later with this massive... Um, I guess you could say bunch of flowers and they look like they're made of toilet paper. <laughs> so she makes flowers out of toilet paper and she spray paints them with different colours. And so she gave me a bunch for Emily and said, take these back to your daughter. I pray for your daughter that she doesn't have to go through what I've been through. And 
maybe Emily can be friends with me. So uh, when the time's right, we'll try to connect Emily and Snea. Thanks. Now this guy here, he lost his wife and daughter in one of the bombings. He said to me, you know, the reason why I regret, I regret, I regret, I went to the toilet. And while I was in the toilet, which is outside the building, the bomb exploded and killed my wife and daughter. So he's also uh, received one of Alison's paintings, by the way. Rowena, she is 16. She lost her mum. And the only reason why she survived the bombing is that she leant down to tie her shoelaces. And the blast uh, was killed her mum, but she was spared. She's also got one of Alison's paintings, thanks. A bit more of a confronting image, these uh, two kids, the little girl on the left-hand side, that's a picture of her before the bombing. She's lost her sight and uh, she's very joyful though. She said, look, praise the Lord I'm still alive. <laughs> praise the Lord I'm still breathing. And maybe by God's grace, that because of this blindness, I'll see more of the Lord's glory. This is an 11-year-old girl. Uh, the girl on the right is one of many who's continuing to receive skin grafts. Um, yeah, really, met, I met with many of those kids who are struggling with incredible burns still today. Thanks. So some of our work in, in Sri Lanka, there's a lot more work that we're doing there and please come and see us um, at the book table and Alison has an incredible amount of art there. So don't forget, you know, I'm sharing Jesus boldly, she's sharing Jesus beautifully. <laughs> Alison came up with the, uh, just going back there briefly, Alison came up with the name Project 114 because this verse in Philippians has inspired us for years. Paul said, because of my chains, not in spite of my chains. It's through persecution that Jesus is known. And what I love about this passage is Paul's talking from prison because of my chains, all of the palace guard knows why I'm in chains for Christ. And what we love about this the most is that we get the opportunity to go and strengthen frontline Apostle Pauls of today in the suffering church. People are reaching the unreached for the gospel and we get to bring back their message to strengthen you and encourage you. And so if we could have the next image there, one of the... Um, key people in Paul's life was a guy called Epaphras and sometimes they call him Epaphroditus but look I'm of the belief that they are the same person maybe I'm just approaching that with convenience because Epaphras is easier to pronounce <laughs> but Epaphras was one of Paul's helpers and Paul says that he risked his life to make up for the help that you couldn't give me and so we see our ministry a bit like Epaphras you know we're sent by churches by bridgemen and other churches that are getting, getting behind us and we go to the front line and so far it's myself but Alison's becoming bolder and braver too so she's going to head there pretty soon with me. Is that right, Dale? She's laughing at me. And uh, through our human care package ministry we were inspired to bring back some of that message to strengthen the church in Australia because I think that we have enough apologetics, we've got enough resources, we've got enough teaching. What we are desperate 
desperately needing to do more of in our country is to get out and to share Jesus as boldly and faithfully as we possibly can while there's still time, while it's still legal to do so. You know, one of the Christians I met who is in India, I plan to visit him sometime, but you know, he said to me when he heard Scott Morrison got into power, he said, what's the church going to do now? I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, he said, are you going to, you know, sit around and enjoy a bit more religious freedom for a while and smell the roses and think what a wonderful knight in shining armour Scott Morrison is because he's going to protect, protect freedoms? Or are you going to take the opportunity in the next three to five years before Labor get in, because they could, and share Jesus boldly and faithfully while it's still free to do so because it's much harder to share him when it's illegal. So I was encouraged by his witness as well. So just quickly, if we start on the left, this is a graphic design that Alison did to just kind of help us understand a bit more about what we're doing. So we're sent by churches. She's got a little plane image there, usually we fly. And we equip and encourage frontline apostle Pauls of today, those who are in prison, doing it tough with packages, support, trauma care, which is what we're doing in Sri Lanka, uh, biblical training and helping the church become self-sustainable. This is one of the biggest needs in some of the hardest and most restricted countries in the world is to help Christians become self-sustainable, not be dependent on foreign investment and help. And so we're flying back again, human care package journey there, and we're bringing back hope and courage to the church here because I believe that the stories of the Christians who are living and thriving in some of the hardest environments in the world where persecution for them is normal, their witness is the most valuable commodity for the church today, don't we think? So I just want to share briefly a story of this guy called Joe who I met. I can't tell you just for his own security which country he's in. But he said to me, the reason why my church is growing in my country and your church isn't in Australia, well certainly some churches are here, but generally speaking, the church in the West is not. Some research that was received, done in the States, and I think that if we compare Australia, we'd be very similar in terms of the outcomes. The research said that 90% of Christians born in the church, raised in the church, married in the church, buried in the church, will never share Jesus with another person. 90% of Christians won't share Jesus with another person. Person. Now, he doesn't know this research, but you know what he said to me? He said, the reason why our church is growing is because we make a covenant to share Jesus with at least one person every day. And I said to him, well, what happens if you get sick? Or you, you know, for some reason you're too busy and you've got a week or two weeks where you haven't shared Jesus. He said, oh, well, that then becomes a bit more dangerous. I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, you've got to get on a train or somewhere publicly and preach loudly. He said, in a country where that's illegal, oh, he said, look out. And I said, well, aren't you afraid to do that? And he said, oh, stop thinking like a Western Christian. <laughs> I thought, Lord, you know, I'm really uncomfortable now. I'm not used to this kind of boldness. And he said, well, take this story back. He said, you complicate the gospel. He said, the gospel's simple. He said, Jesus, he loves me. Jesus, he died for me. Jesus, he's coming back for me. And this is a message that is just such good news, I can't keep it to myself. He said, maybe you can't share Jesus 
with one person every day, but you can surely do it, covenant together, to share Jesus with one person every week. Thanks. As I reflected on Joe and some of my journey over the last 18 months, I was thinking, you know, Jesus says in Matthew 10, I send you out as sheep among wolves. And in Australia, we can see the wolves are growing in number, are they not? We can see their strategies are becoming more aggressive towards the church. But I thought, hang on, let's rephrase this one. What happens if we looked upon these wolves, not as wolves, but as sheep? And we ask the Lord, Lord, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to have your compassion, the same compassion that you had in Matthew 9, 36, where it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So what's your call to action today? What, what, how should we respond to this? You know, Jesus says that we are the light of the world, but you know, only the Holy Spirit can turn us on. <laughs> Amen? I mean, I've been involved in mission work well, on and off, sometimes by force. My parents were just in there, so I had to be part of it. <laughs> Ever since I was a young boy, and still today, I struggle with my own heart. I don't have compassion all the time. I have to ask the Lord every day. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to, to the fields. Lord, let me see what you see. Lord, let me feel what you feel. May I have the compassion of Christ poured upon my heart for not the wolves, the sheep. <laughs> Lost, hopeless. And number three, let us ask him for a love for the Samaritan woman down the road. Let us ask him to pour out his love upon our hearts for the lost and for the needy around us. This is the kind of boldness that Christians in the hardest places in the world want us in the West to grasp. This is a prayer, I mean you can take this on your phone if you like. Are they allowed to put their phones on? Pastor Andrew now? <laughs> I encourage you to pray this. Lord, help me to see what you see. Feel what you feel. Love those you love and touch those you touch. A great quote I'd like to end with is this one. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And that was the place where Jesus walked. I think that as a Western church, we are desperate to move from influence to example. You know, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, we've got a bit about Paul in the New Testament, but we, don't, we can't see him at work and Christ working through him, but we can see the modern day Apostle Pauls who are living the book of Acts today. I mean, I'm meeting them all the time and I get the privilege of going 
and on your behalf, bringing back their message to strengthen you. And this is why uh, we do what we do. So thank you for the opportunity to share, and uh, I'll hand back to uh, Pastor Andrew now. God bless. Alison, Alison, oh, Simon. Simon, Alison, just stay with me here. I would love to pray uh, for you. Isn't it challenging, though, just to lift our eyes? I know myself, we we so busy day to day, we're here, but the church and God's people are in all sorts of different circumstances and situations around the world, and uh, we can stand with them and pray, but also, as, as Simon's encouraged us, to learn from them, learn from their example, and reflect and say, well, Lord, what, what are you saying to me through this? How can I be bold? How can I reach out? And how can I love like Jesus loved and listen like Jesus listened, touch like Jesus touched in my community? And that the Lord would help us in that and lead us. And uh, be, that we might be led by the Holy Spirit and being courageous in sharing with others as well. But we also have an opportunity today. We, we really appreciate you, Simon and Alison, the unique gifts that he's given you. Um, and the heart that is given you to support uh, the persecuted church, to go to places where we may never go, um, but we can stand with you, and we, we do look forward to standing with you, and we appreciate your ministry back to us and encouraging us here, and we would just love to pray for you before we finish our service and worship as well. Well, Lord Jesus, you are the, the head of the church, uh, a church that is global, a church that is uh, growing around the world. And Father, we um, are challenged, um, confronted, some of those images we see of the situation that our brother and brothers and sisters are living in. But today we recognise that you are bigger uh, than these situations. Um, that Lord, even in them, there is a joy and there is a peace and there is a boldness that comes from you because you are different from this world. And Father, we want to pray for the persecuted church that they would have strength and courage under uh, persecution, under suffering, under hardship. That Lord, you would give them wisdom and that Father God, you would continue to grow your church in these places. And then let, yet, Lord, we also pray for us here in the Western world and beyond, Lord, we want to pray that we too would be courageous, we too would be in love with this good news that is too good to keep to ourselves, and that, Father God, you would lead us in growing in our capacity to share with those who are just as needy uh, in our world, uh, just um, lacking hope as, as many places in the world, Lord God, just in need of your unconditional love. Lord, may there not be um, barriers in us sharing this good news. Lord, give us opportunities to invite and to love and to share, we pray. And now we pray for Alison and Simon, this unique ministry you've given them and led them to. We pray your provision for them. We pray, Lord God, that you would continue to guide so clearly into the future. And Father, may they be these human care packages, these encouragements uh, to the church across the world and particularly in the persecuted uh, church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as Simon has said, there's a table there where there's, a, there's books, there's Alison's artwork. Please go and check that out. And ways that you can support them, either in prayer or financially. We'd love to get behind them in that. Um, so please spend some time with them. There you go. There's a monthly newsletter that you can sign up for. It'll all be, all the information will be there at the table. You can chat with these guys. But how about we thank them one more time just for being with us. Thank you.
Well, Jesus, we just want to declare that you are King of kings, you are Lord of lords. You are the one that's above everything else, even death, uh, Lord. And we want to thank you that you are coming back. We want to thank you that you will be, you are the risen King, you'll be the reigning King. And Lord, thank you that we can trust you, we can look to you. We want to thank you, Jesus, that on that cross you have won victory for us. We want to thank you, Jesus, there is forgiveness in you. We want to thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to fear death or condemnation. We want to thank you, Jesus, that victory is in, in you. And we want to thank you, Father, that you stand with those in the persecuted church and we pray for them, Lord. We, we stand with them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you that, Father God, you're at work all around the world and your kingdom is growing and moving across the continents. Lord, we pray and praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Thanks so much for being with us uh, this morning. And I just want to remind you of the two tables. as a table with Roy's book just through here. And then obviously Simon and Alison's table out there, as well as the usual mission store. Um, and also just one final but important announcement. Um, in three weeks' time, we have our missions conference here on the 9th and 10th of November, and we had a very special guest with one of the greatest names, I think, of a, a speaker, Pastor Jihad Haddad. Jihad Haddad ministers on the border of Syria and Lebanon, and his church ministers to thousands of Syrian refugees moving out from the conflict, reaching Muslims and Orthodox Christians there, bringing schooling, uh, medical attention, but reaching people, sharing the gospel there. It's an amazing opportunity for him to be here. We're really thankful for that. But don't miss that over the weekend of the 9th and 10th of November. Come out on the Saturday afternoon and night to hear him. And then also on Sunday, he'll be speaking across our services as well. Thanks so much and enjoy morning tea. And can we last time thank uh, Roy, Simon and Alison for sharing with us this morning. Thank you.